Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. So great to see you. Pretty epic day today in Silverton. Decided to do a little church in a barn today. Let me just start this morning by saying one of my, one of my jobs, one of the things that I and anybody up here should do is to try to inspire you to know there is more to your faith than what you've experienced. There is so much more. There is an overwhelming uh, fullness that is available to you. And I want to try to paint that picture for you, but I'm going to do it imperfectly because I haven't experienced all the fullness of God. I am still a work in progress. I am still trying to figure this out. But that is my job, is to try to let you guys know that there is something greater than what you have experienced and what you know as a Christian. That is what verse 19 is about, to be filled. If you remember, Paul, this is like the greatest prayer of all time, somebody said, in the Bible. Paul is is praying for these people that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what that is more than you can imagine, an overwhelming amount of fullness that is available to us. And and the idea that I want to bring to you today is that there is more for you. There is more for all of us in our faith. And I want to try to explain that by using some other people's words that have experienced the fullness of God. I've got, I don't know, six quotes here from different people that I'm not going to be able to read all of them. But one guy, a pretty famous guy, Dwight Moody, if you've heard of Moody, the famous 19th century preacher, experienced so much fullness of God that he had to ask God to stay his hand. He had to ask God to say, he said, that's enough, I can't take it anymore, it's too great. He says, I think in a journal of his back in the day, he says, well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. Now get this, I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love, I had to ask him to stay his hand. Can you believe that? Like, you, like it's so great that you're like, I can't take it anymore, no more. I can't experience any more joy or any more peace. How crazy is that? That sounds like the fullness of God. That sounds like he was filled with the fullness of God. How about another one? How about George Whitfield? He says the freeness, I think in one of his journals, the freeness and the riches of God's everlasting love broke in with such light and power upon my soul that I was often awed into silence and could not speak. I don't know if any of you have experienced this. I haven't experienced stuff on on this level or my faith on this level. And then there's Jonathan Edwards, who apparently in 1737, he's a famous preacher from back in the day. He He was on a ride on his horse. He got off his horse. He went for a walk for divine contemplation and prayer. And he said that what he experienced was extraordinary, which is something incredible for Jonathan Edwards to say that. This is a long one. He says, of the glory of the Son of God. This was, this was the view that was extraordinary. It was the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful 
I'm sorry, in his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension, this grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, an, an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued, as near as I can judge, about an hour which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. How great of an experience does that sound like? This is the fullness of God. This, whether you know it or not, is what you want. This is what we all want in our faith. I want more. I want something deeper. I want something incredible. So how do we get there? How, do we, how can we figure this out? We've got to go back half a verse in verse 19 and read what precedes the fullness of God. Verse 19 said, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you want to be filled with the fullness of God... You need to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do we know something that surpasses knowledge? How do we comprehend something that's incomprehensible? How do we do it? We can't do it. We can't read about it enough to figure this out. We, we can't work for it. It has to be revealed to us by God himself. We can't do it. God does it. But do you know what we can do? We can tee it up. And we can invite God to reveal himself to us. In the same way that we get to know the love of Christ and get to know Christ, right? The love of Christ and Christ is the same. If you know Christ, you know the love of Christ. The same way we would know Christ is the same way you would know anybody. How do you get to know somebody? How do you get to understand somebody? Is it by working for someone? Is it by accomplishing something for someone? Or is it by being still and quiet and present with that person? Do you, do you, do you get to know someone by being busy and distracted? which is great, trying to do something for someone, or do you get to know someone by spending time with them, by, by, by listening to them, by being still and quiet, waiting for them to tell you about themselves? Isn't that how we get to know people? I think guys don't understand this very well. right? We would rather not sit and listen to someone talk to us. We would rather be busy and distracted. We, we, we try to get to know people by doing things for them. And our wives are like, where, where have you been? Why don't you sit and hang out with me? I'm trying to get things done. Don't you appreciate all the work that I've done for you? Guys, are, guys aren't great at being still and quiet, waiting for somebody to reveal themselves to them. This is how we get to know Christ by being still and quiet and present before him not busy and distracted but unfortunately that's what we end up doing 
We get busy for God. We get busy for Christ. We try to accomplish things for him. We overvalue our work. I've said that a couple months ago. We were talking about work. We overvalue our accomplishment for God. We overvalue our success. We exaggerate the value of our work for him and we minimize the time spent being with God. The way to get to know Christ is not lifting heavy things or by being productive for him. It's by being still and quiet and present before him. It's by, it's not by working, it's by being with him. And the way that we can be with him is by eliminating the distractions, is by eliminating all the work that we're often trying to do for him. It's by saying no to certain things so that we can say yes to being with Christ. This is a secular idea. Warren Buffett, I read, says this. He, Warren Buffett says, um, if what separates successful people from super successful people is their ability to say no to almost everything. Somebody that's able to say no to almost everything means they say yes to only a few things and they're able to focus on something. Steve Jobs says the same thing. Somebody asked him, I guess, how, how do you focus so well on just one thing? And he says, it's not about focusing on one thing. It's not focusing on a thousand other things. By saying no to a bunch of other things, we can say yes to one thing. This is how we can eliminate the idea of being busy and distracted and not still and quiet and present before God. Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I've been stuck on this verse for months. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. This is a hint here in Psalm 62 for how we can know God. We don't do things for him. We stop and we just be with him. We wait in silence and wait for him to reveal himself to us. It's not another book that you need to read. You don't have to make it through the whole Bible in a year. You don't have to sign up for another Bible study. It's not another task. It's not another accomplishment. It's still and quiet so we can be present with God. Bible studies, reading books, digging into scripture certainly is not a bad thing. Accomplishing things for God, working for God, doing for God, is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. But when we exaggerate our work and we steal from our time being with God in order to accomplish things for God, we jack it all up. Accomplishment is not bad. Doing the work for God, doing, doing the work or working for God is not a bad thing. James is all about that. Faith without works is dead. My son, Henry, had to memorize a verse for school the other day, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord. There is plenty to do, isn't there? But if we want to do things for God, we must be present with him first. 
We've got to reduce the value that we put on our work and we've got to increase the value of just sitting quietly with God. This is kind of a funny sermon to preach right now because we have so much going on. This is probably the busiest week uh, of the year for the church because of THX. We got so much going on. We got so many volunteers going every which direction right now. Trying to do all these things, trying to cook all these meals, toys, everything. Doesn't this seem kind of counterintuitive that we would be that we would be talking about reducing what we do and increasing how we are being present with God? It seems kind of counterintuitive. Like I can't stop working. I I must keep going because we have so much to do. But that's a false economy there. If you don't stop working, you won't accomplish anything. If we don't take time to sit quietly and be present with God, we will accomplish nothing. Our church is an ambitious church. We do a lot of stuff. We, we planted this church. We, we have this great THX thing. We do 50 other things throughout the year. We love to be busy. We love to accomplish things and, and, and try to save people. But if we do that to, at the extent that we minimize being with God, we have messed it up. And you need to know if you hear from us, if you think that we have implied that there's no time to be with God, you just got to do one more thing, you just got to write one more check, you just got to work a little bit harder, that is messed up. You need to hear something that I heard the other day. Someone told me this, a counselor that I've been talking to. He said, Tim, you've done enough. You've accomplished enough. You've been productive enough. Has anybody ever said that to you? No one's ever said that to me. That was a crazy thing to hear. But do you know what's, what's crazy? It's true. You've done enough. All of you. You've been productive enough. You've accomplished enough. Now it's time to take a rest. Take a seat. Give it a rest. And let God do his work in us and through us. I don't care what we have to accomplish. We want to plant churches throughout the Willamette Valley, okay? But it's going to do no good if we accomplish the world, but we leave our families in the dust, or we leave people in the dust. We leave, we leave volunteers in the dust. We just use and abuse people to get what we want to get accomplished, and then we let people just, I don't know, bail and hate the church. That is not an accomplishment, that is, a, that, that is an example of what not to do. And we don't want to be a church that is an example of what not to do. We're desperately trying to have this great balance of being with God and doing for God. And that we, we must start with being with God. So let me just hear or, or, or hear from me one more time. You guys have done enough. You've accomplished enough. You've been productive enough. Let's take time to be with God, to be still and quiet and, be, and, and allow or, or invite God to reveal himself to us just the way we would get to know anybody else.
That is how we get to know Christ. I'm gonna repeat this like 50 times. To be still and quiet, to wait in silence, to be present with Christ, listening, not busy and distracted, but, but listening and waiting because we can't do that. We can't fill ourselves with the fullness of God. He has to reveal himself to us. For God alone, our souls wait in silence. From him comes our salvation. So how do we, how do we do this? How can we be still and quiet and get to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The way that we do this is to be still and quiet and get to know ourselves first. You got to be still and quiet and you got to understand who you are before you can apply the love of Christ to what's going on in your life. This is not an easy thing for me. I do not want to sit around and think about myself, my feelings. How, how am I doing? But I've been talking to this counselor, and he thinks it's important. And he's a, he's a super wise guy, and so he's been trying to help me do this. It is important for us to understand who we are before we try to understand the love of Christ. Because we are incredibly complex individuals. We're incredibly complex creatures who have been shaped and have been wired through millions of interactions with people in our lifetimes, right? Especially in our formative years, especially in our younger years. We, we, because of the way we grew up, because of the family we had, because of the mother and father we had, because of those traumatic experiences you had, those things shaped who you are. And you need to know who you are. You need to take time to be still and quiet and be present with yourself so you can figure out who you are and what makes you tick you've got to think through this stuff how did my upbringing make me the person that I am how did these traumatic experiences shape me and mold me and might inform how I act or what I do or the decisions I make how I cope with certain situations we've got to take an account of who we are the counselor asked me, like, so Tim, like one of the first times I talked to him, so Tim, so tell me how you're feeling. And I was like, mm, how should I know, right? I just work here. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I, don't even, I couldn't even give you words to describe how I feel. Happy and sad. That's about the extent of, of my feelings. I don't know if any of you are in a similar situation. If you're a guy, it's likely. And so, he, and so we read this book, or, or he had me read this voice, book, Voice of the Heart, which describes seven or eight different emotions, okay, which is actually a fascinating book about the different emotions, right? Uh, sad, um, lonely, hurt, fear, anger, 
gladness. There's a couple more that I'm forgetting, but it at least would give me some, some, uh, some words to be able to articulate how I'm feeling. These are important things to know for all of us. How do we feel? Being still and quiet. Waiting to, trying to discover, how am I feeling physically? How am I feeling emotionally? How are you feeling mentally? And then how do you feel spiritually as well? We've got to take time to start, try to work out who we are. We've got to take time to try, to try to understand ourselves, to try to know ourselves so that then we can move to the next thing, which is to invite the love of Christ, to invite Christ himself to be revealed to us and to cover the baggage that we have in this world. We have to know ourselves before we can go and, and, and ask God to reveal himself and to, and to make himself known to us. Know yourself before you can know God, before you can invite the presence of God into your life. Then the presence of the Holy Spirit is how we go and do work for God in transforming others. That's how this works. Know and be present with yourself before you can know and be present with God. And then as God reveals himself to you, then we go and we do the work of trying to transform others through the Holy Spirit in us. We've got to know ourselves. We've got to know God. We've got to be able to sit and apply the love of Christ to our own complex situations so we can take the feelings that we, that we feel of, of shame, of despair, of inadequacy, of insecurity, of fear, of anger, whatever you're feeling, and you can apply the love of Christ to all of those things. And you can start to have God revealed to you. You can, you can start to have Christ dwell in your heart. And you can start to have him try to seep into these areas of frustration, things that, that, that make you want to be distracted and, and make you want to be busy because you don't want to think about these things. You don't want to think about the, the inner workings of your soul. We can ask God to then reveal himself to these, these deep, dark areas of our lives that have been untouched previously that's what i think one of these one of these quotes talks about god was god was uh was inserted into areas that had been unreached and untouched in their life that is being filled with the fullness of god to sit and not to try to accomplish and not to try to figure something out not to try to get ahead but to relax your body and your mind and, and, and not think about all the things that are stressing you out. Get those things out of your mind. Send those things packing. Send those things down the road. And to contemplate what this passage is talking about. Verse 14 through 19. We can contemplate. 
What does it mean to be strengthened by his spirit in our inner being? We can ask God to reveal himself. Strengthen me in my inner being. I've got this baggage that I have either inherited from a, from a grandparent. I had a grandfather one time that was quoted as saying, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I inherited some of this pretty... Uh, pretty honestly here. And then I had parents that also felt that way and worked their fingers to the bone, overworked probably. I learned this at a young age. I want to figure out how to be strengthened by his spirit in my inner being. This is what we sit quietly when we ask God to reveal that. What does that mean? Reveal who you are. Reveal that love up to me, God, that, so that I could be strengthened in my inner being. We ask for him to, be, to dwell in our hearts through faith. We sit quietly, present with God, and we ask him to be rooted and grounded in love, stable and firm, not pushed around by these crazy feelings that we have that, that make us crazy sometimes. We ask him to reveal himself through the strength to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. As we sit quietly, we contemplate what do these things even mean? Brian touched on them. Let me just touch on them again. The breadth, like the, the width, the, the capacity for the, for the love of Christ to save anyone and everyone. Jew and Gentile, male and female, the, the shiniest Christian to the down and outer, the one that's perfectly put together to the one that's torn apart. That is the breadth of the love of Christ. How about the length of the love of Christ? What is that? What is that? It is, that is the, the love that started before the foundation of the world and the love that will be continued until eternity, forever. That's the length of Christ. We sit quietly and we contemplate the breadth, the length, and then the depth of his love. What kind of depth did he, uh, did he show us? By crawling up on that cross and being crucified and murdered for us. Like, what, what depth did he descend to for us? And then what about the height of the love of Christ? The unlimited, the the. the the greatest joy you could ever experience, the greatest peace you could ever understand to be filled with the fullness of God is the greatest height of Christ's love for us. And all of that, we can come to an understanding of by sitting quietly and waiting for God to help us know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. When we do that, when God begins to reveal himself to us, then and only then, after spending time with him, after being present with him, can we go do for God. Can we go try to transform other people's lives through the presence of God in us and through us? Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's what we're looking for. This is the fullness that we want. Practically speaking, 
some of us, myself included, need to take some off the top. Take a few things off your plate. We got too much going on. We're going 50 different directions. It's easy to do these days. Some of us, I mean, just need to understand you're not a victim of your own schedule. <laughs> you're not a victim of your own budget. You don't have to work that hard. You could spend less, maybe. Practically speaking, some of us know there's some seasons of life where you can't take things off your plate. It's just a busy time. I'm gonna try to think of a situation where that might be the case. Like, oh, I don't know, let's say you have a newborn a couple of months ago. And things just get like from crazy to crazier. What do we do in those situations? Are we hosed? Is that it? Like, oh, well, I'm not going to be with God. I got too much going on. Absolutely not. I alluded to this earlier. The more we want to do for God, the more that we want to, to uh, raise a good family, the more do we want to be involved in church, the more do we want to accomplish amazing things, which is not a sin. The more you want to do, the more you got to be with God. Be present, still, and quiet, waiting in silence. We've got to carve out time whenever we can to be with him so that we can accomplish these amazing things. So we can see the world transformed through the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in us and through us. The busier we are, the more important it is to be in the presence of God. We want to tap in to this power that comes through the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in us. We want to be a church that does this well. This is, I think, the future for this church, not just to accomplish a lot. That's been done before. In recent history, the world has been accomplished, but then it all falls apart and nothing is accomplished. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that is present with God, inviting him to reveal himself to us. We want to be a church that is in the presence of God so that that presence in us can transform others and we can get some great things done. That's the church that we want to be. That's what I'm hoping. You will, you will feel, you will see you will experience as we hang out together. Let me pray. Father God, these are, these are heavy, heavy ideas to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge to comprehend what is, what is incomprehensible on our own. God, we need strength to comprehend the stuff. The strength that only you can provide. I pray that we would, that we would limit what we do so that we can be more with you. I pray that we would 
see our need for, for a, a further understanding of who you are, to get to know you a little bit better. I pray that we, would, that we would know and we would be excited about being filled with all the fullness of you. And we would understand that that comes through your presence in us. God, I pray that the, that the hearts of all of us, myself included, would, would turn just a little more with this idea that we could not just do one and done, but we, 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 could, we could pound on this for decades, that we would talk about the work that needs to be done, of course, but that we would not forget the work that has been done and the work that can be done in us. That is the important work and that's, the, that's what we need in order to get working on helping other people understand this. God, we pray, pray that you would do all of this. We can't do it. We pray that you would reveal everything of who you are in each one of us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.